our second guest of the show today now, and that is John Raskin, the executive director of Riders Alliance, nonprofit advocacy group. Uh, John, welcome to WBAI. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette with Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. How are you doing? Hi, Ben and Jarrett. Good. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Good. Thanks for being on. So you announced recently that uh, after seven years founding Riders Alliance um, and leading it, that you're going to be moving on soon. So first, um, you know, congratulations on making that decision. I'm sure it wasn't an easy one. But uh, take us and listeners through a little bit of sort of the history of starting the organization. What was that all about? What were the circumstances when you got it going? Um, you know, give us a little background. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, you know, the the background for the Riders Alliance really is rooted in my experience and then some of the folks who helped me get the organization started, their experience, too, in local politics. I had been the chief of staff previously for a state senator, Daniel Squadron. And I remember working in Albany and seeing firsthand that public transit is so important in the lives of there are, you know, 8 million people who ride public transit in New York every day. And the issue just hasn't been getting the attention that it should in Albany. And when, when I say attention, you know, I mean oversight from the legislative body, I mean the focus of the governor, and I mean the nuts and bolts. I mean funding and legislation that the MTA needs to do its job well. And kind of our diagnosis was to say, look, there are these other organizations that are doing really valuable and important advocacy work focused on policy, focused on communications and press. But there's this untapped potential of millions of people who ride public transit every day. That should be the most powerful political constituency in the state, but it won't be until we get organized. And that's the background of the Riders Alliance. We said, let's let's set out to build power among transit riders so that we can hold our elected leaders accountable and ultimately use that democratic accountability to win the funding and the legislation and kind of everything we need to make public transit work. So that was the approach. But talk to us about the trajectory. You know, what would you say, looking back, have been, you know, some of the ups and downs, the big accomplishments, big setbacks? Uh, you know, obviously in recent months, you know, I think this issue has obviously, to some degree, caught fire. But that wasn't the case in the early days. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, um, you know, the old adage in community organizing is start with a stop sign. If you want to do community organizing pick on a fight your own size and take on something you can really win and make it a big community issue. And that's kind of the, um, you know, the traditional way of doing organizing. And our equivalent, you know, we didn't campaign for a stop sign, um, wouldn't be helpful on the subway. Uh, but we, our version of the stop sign was the G train. We took on our first campaign was a very small neighborhood. The G train is one of the smallest trains with the fewest riders and was a real neighborhood issue was not working. And we ran a, you know, ran an advocacy campaign and organized G train riders. And we did petitions and we did meetings with elected officials and we did creative tactics. Like we made a, a G train workout plan exercise video that one of our members came up with. And all of this got the sort of attention that we needed that resulted in more G train service in the afternoon and evening, as well as those little signs that say G-Train stops here, um, you know, small wins. But kind of building that and building an organization, we were then able to attract new members, attract new funding, build relationships with elected officials. And that meant we were able to take on bigger issues. And we, we won... We won funding for bus stop countdown clocks in the city budget, and that brought in some new members and some new interest as well. We won uh, legislation at the city council that expands access to transit benefits, uh, like transit check or, or things like that. 
And then, you know, I think that, you know, all of those together took in the range of three, four years. And then I think we really had the ability to take on some of the issues that, that impact a wider swath of transit riders. And the, the first one that comes to mind is fair fares. That that's an idea proposed by our allies at Community Service Society to provide a discount metro card for everyone living below poverty. And our members loved it and thought it was important, both people who would benefit from fair fares and people who just thought that we need for everyone to have access to public transit. And so we ran a big campaign around that with Community Service Society and won uh, more than $100 million in funding at the city council. And then I'd say, just to kind of round it off, you know, the, the most recent campaign that we were involved in was the push for congestion pricing. And that's just because any realistic solution to the unreliability and the poor service on the subway is going to require billions of dollars um, to modernize and upgrade the system. And so if we wanted to work on something that would have a broad impact on transit riders' lives um, and the future of the city, I think winning the billions of dollars through congestion pricing was something that we had to be part of. Do you think that uh, over over the course of that work that you have uh, aimed to and have you succeeded to some degree at getting subway riders and other transit users to think of themselves as part of of a group that that does that to identify as people for whom that is a major consideration and that that's a group that they are members of you know because if you think about past sort of successful movements in the country whether it's uh, AARP and senior citizens or veterans or obviously even AAA with with drivers getting people to not just sort of do that thing every day but to think of that to make it something that affects their voting decisions um, is that is that something you you've tried to do and do you think you've succeeded to some degree we certainly try and you know my take is that we have succeeded but that success is vulnerable and could easily be you know fleeting and, and ephemeral and that i think is the core task and the core challenge of an organization like ours it's just as you described it which is to say there are millions of people you know the way we think of it is they share an interest they are transit riders but they also share values and that's been something that um that has been very important to the riders alliance to say you know not everyone would benefit from fair fares not everyone takes the bus not everyone rides the subway but we all all do share an understanding of what public transit does for New York. You know, that public transit makes New York a place of opportunity where you can live in an affordable neighborhood, maybe far from the job, but you can still get to work. You know, it's a a sustainable city that can grow into the future and, and help protect the planet. And so, you know, what I'd say is I think that in those moments where we have succeeded, we have uh, kind of built that common cause among transit riders. But I also think that is, you know, that's the core task of the organization. And that's something you have to work at every year. And that, you know, even, even if you win it in one moment, that's not lasting without continuing the work. As you look back on some of the work you've done, the successes you've had, the the challenges you've encountered, do you have a certain philosophy of organizing um, and policy advocacy? You know that's formed based on this. Are there certain elements, um, certain styles that you think are essential, not necessarily you know across the country or the world, but especially in New York? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a very interesting question, and um, I think there are many levels on which to answer it, many of which I'm unqualified, actually. <laughs> I have <laughs> this is anecdotal. Great, this uh, is, you know, your, your no, experience. Right. I have great experience <laughs> um, in organizing yeah. and very little theoretical background in how one is supposed to do organizing. And so, I, you know, maybe helpfully for your listeners, I don't know any of the uh, esoteric terminology to use. But, I, I mean, what I'll say is, you know, in my experience is – um, successful community organizing really involves kind of trust between the group of people who are being organized, right? The constituents, so in this case, transit riders, and the group of people, and I'm thinking of our, our staff team, right? Our team who does it full time, who are doing the organizing. Because ultimately, organizing is about building power. Right. In our case, it's about building power among transit riders so that we can hold our elected leaders accountable. But in the nuts and bolts, so the sort of behind the scenes that you're talking about, there's a real a real power dynamic between what are the decisions that we make, you know, when we're in a news cycle and we have to get something out and we're maybe sparring with the governor or the mayor. You know, there are some things that our staff has to just decide and get out the door and make sure that we're, um, you know, representing our position powerfully. But, you know, on the other hand, if, if everything is done at the staff level and you don't engage all of the members and all the folks who come to our meetings and all the folks who, you know, ultimately have the good ideas, then, you know, I think you're you're not uh, building as strong a powerful organization. And also, just in my experience, you miss out on a lot of, a lot of opportunity. Most of the good ideas that the Writers Alliance has had, either for big picture campaigns or even for just very immediate tactics that helped in our campaigns came from our members in membership meetings where people came and shared ideas and kind of did the strategy and behind the scenes. And so in my experience, you know, you, you do need a staff in organizing that is that is um, ready to take quick action and hold some capacity there. But you need to figure out the tricky balance of making sure that you're also representing and including your members, the constituency, um, because that is that is power. And just, just to pick on one piece of what you said, talk a little bit about the, the relationship, the push-pull with Governor Cuomo. He's obviously been the main target of your advocacy work, or, I mean, correct me if, if that's a mischaracterization, but, um, you know, he's obviously the most important player here in New York State in terms of controlling the MTA. Um, how has that gone? I mean, you, it seems to me that Riders Alliance has taken a pretty aggressive approach to, to calling out the governor, rallying outside his offices, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, to speak a little bit about some of those decisions. Yeah, so that's all true. I think it, I, you know I agree with with how you described the, the governor being in the the core position of being able to impact the future of transit, and also with the aggressive take that we've had on making that clear. You know, in a sense, it's rooted in what we were talking about a minute ago, which is, you know, I think the biggest problem facing public transit right now and over the last seven years that we've been working on this at the Riders Alliance is not any one policy issue. Those can all be addressed and, you know, some are more and some are less important. It's a lack of accountability. It is, and it's not even personal to Governor Cuomo. It was governors before him and in our assessment, it will be governors after him who 
have made decisions that directly take money away from the MTA, money that the MTA has needed to provide service, or through inattention has failed to provide the MTA with the resources and the support and legislation and oversight, right? That, that sort of attention, too. And so I think the problem existed before Governor Cuomo, um, and certainly, you know, my experience in Albany that I was describing, that was before Governor Cuomo. Um, but, you know, it, in politics, um, if it's not somebody's problem personally, it is not a problem that gets addressed. And so that is one of the challenges to us as organizers is to say, you know, who's the target? Who's the decision maker? And you have to be you have to be rallying outside the right office. You have to be rallying and calling out um, the people who are actually in a position to solve the problem if they turn their attention to it. And so structurally in New York, that is the governor, not just because he ultimately runs the MTA, but because he dominates the budget process and the legislative process that you need to go through to fix the MTA. And so we have been very aggressive. And to us, that has been key in trying to win that accountability that could lead to results. The uh, reorganization of the MTA that the agency itself has talked about in recent months, do you think that it uh, generally furthers the goal of improving accountability and making clear you know, who is responsible and, and, and just getting the work done? So I'd say two things. I think one is just the very fact that we are talking about this like large-scale reorganization, I think, for the first time in many years, is indicative of the attention that is now focused on the MTA from the governor personally and, uh, you know, and, and the top levels of state government. And that is, in some ways, an outgrowth of the congestion pricing push, where many legislators said, yes, we will agree to this funding source for transit, but we need to see the MTA run better in order to agree to it. Um, and it's partly, I think, the governor, you know, being on the hot seat a little from us and our allies. You know, the Riders Alliance is, is far from the only player here, and many of the groups work in concert um, on strategy. So I think the fact that we're looking at a reorganization plan for the MTA is indicative of new attention on the MTA and on public transit, and that is generally a good thing. Um, the specifics of this reorganization plan, you know, I think the jury is out on many of the details. I think some of them are really kind of obvious, low-hanging fruit that have been talked about for a long time, consolidating some um, operations, you know, the human resources and, and sort of the back office operations and stuff that, you know, that there are six offices where there should be one and, and that sort of thing. I think there, you know, there are some moves that are proposed that are uncontroversial, and there are some that are very controversial, um, and that includes consolidating uh, capital, uh, sort of, you know, capital investment and uh, capital maintenance um, of the, you know, the tracks and the stations and the subway cars and the signal system and all that, and taking that away from New York City Transit and Andy Byford personally, who's running that agency, and taking it away from the people who are doing operations of the subway and giving it to, you know, to uh, the division that focuses specifically on capital investment. And I, I actually, you know, I think it warrants, um, it warrants real examination. I, I do not have an answer for you off the top of my head of what all the consequences will be. And that's not because of the angle that I think has gotten a lot of coverage in the press, which is what about Andy Byford and the governor? You know, everyone's looking for a personal controversy. Mm -hmm. And to me, the important part of the organization plan is not personal. You know, this organization of the MTA will last beyond the, this governor, last beyond this Andy Byford. Um, you know, we need to be making structural decisions, and that's something that we need to do carefully. 
So we've got a, just a couple more minutes left uh, with John Raskin of Riders Alliance. Um, what is, you know, can you sort of bullet for us and our listeners, okay, here are, you know, you put the number on it, but let's just say three for the sake of discussion. You know, here are the three biggest challenges facing, you know, New York City transit right now. Uh, and, and, you know, here are three of the biggest things that really need to happen soon to get this right in the next phase. Um, so, uh, let me try. <laughs> I will do my darndest. I, I mean, look, to me, number one um, in this, this betrays my background as an organizer. Number one is always the politics of transit. It's the accountability. I think that everything flows from having strong accountability where people know who's in charge and where the people in charge feel the pressure uh, to, to kind of do the work to implement good outcomes. And so I know that's abstract. It's not people's day-to-day experience, but to me, everything that does impact our day-to-day experience is rooted in that. And you know, that's something that is not just the responsibility of the Writers Alliance. We work on it. We have fairly blunt tools to work with. You know, we can focus the press attention on the governor or the legislature or the mayor. Um, but that's really something that I think is for everyone. It's for journalists, um, including the folks who I'm speaking with right now, uh, whose job it is to kind of be truth tellers and say, well, the governor says this and the mayor says this, and here's who's um, reflecting reality. And of course, it's the job of, of everyday transit riders who, who care about transit and need to make their own decisions and kind participate in the political process to lead to good results. So that's always my number one, is accountability and successful democracy. Everything good comes from that. Um, but I actually think that, you know, the the biggest, I'm going to give you two total, because number one was kind of long. Okay. Two, I would say that the biggest question of the coming years facing public transit is whether the MTA and the governor who runs the MTA will successfully execute the vision that the MTA has laid out for how to fix the subway and the bus. Mm-hmm. And that's the fast forward plan that Andy Byford put out, um, a, you know, a year and a half ago or so. And it is the first plan in a generation that really answers the question, how do you make this work? How do you have reliable transit service, fast enough, reliable bus service? How do you make it accessible um, to people with disabilities? How do you, re- you know, reorganize the MTA or, or at least the components that um, that uh, that he could in order to deliver those services. And so there have been big promises made. It is a strong plan. It has been widely endorsed. There is now some funding to get it done through congestion pricing and other um, funding sources that the governor, to his credit, led the push for um, in the state budget. It's not all the funding we'll need, but it's a significant start. And the question is whether you know, whether the MTA will follow through, whether the governor will follow through, whether communities and legislators will let them follow through. Um, and that, I think, is a challenge, you know, not to be a broken record, but that's, you know, that's up to us, the Writers Alliance, writers, journalists, um, and uh, everyone, you know, elected officials, everyone who's a participant in the system to make sure that, that uh, the plan that was laid out actually happens. That's what's going to fix public transit for the long term. And that's probably going to also involve some serious negotiations between the governor and the mayor about making up some of that funding uh, that, that still needs to be allocated to the next MTA capital plan. Uh, John Raskin, quickly, uh, when, when are you finishing up at the Writers' Alliance? 
I, I didn't set an end date. Oh, um, I okay. want to make sure, you know, as the, as a founder of the organization <laughs> and the executive director, I want to make sure the organization is in good hands, that we have everything set up and for my departure. And so we're initiating that process now. We are searching for a new executive director. We just put up the job posting when I announced last week that I'm planning to move on. And I expect that that process will take a number of months. And I expect to stick around for a number of months to, to uh, make sure that not only I'm being helpful in that process, which our board is running, um, but also that you know our campaigns are as powerful um, and uh, kind of operating at full capacity during that time. Because as we're talking about right now, you know there were big decisions made in the last few years, which are great, congestion pricing and fair fares and other stuff. But there are big decisions that are happening in the next two years um, about how all that will play out in real life. And Certainly. the Riders Alliance needs to be part of that for now and, and long after I'm gone. Well, congratulations on all your work to date and, and still to come, apparently, over the next uh, couple months or so. And uh, good luck figuring out the next step after that. And of course, thanks for taking some time with us here on WBAI. So thank you, John Raskin. And uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us on another edition of Max and Murphy. That was such an interesting talk. I would say one thing I'd add to what he said is just that there's such an interesting balance between urgency and satisfaction in this. You know, the sense of crisis really helped push some of these transit reforms through. Obviously, as, as they work, that sense of crisis might abate. Um, it has to move to a sense of possibility, I guess. And how congestion pricing and how that affects drivers and riders, crowding versus easier commutes. Um, it's a really fascinating kind of set of different systems, a whole ecosystem around this issue, both politically and in the subway tunnels every morning. Yeah, and I'll just say quickly, you know, just he and, and John Raskin really got at this about, you know, when we talk about the MTA, you know, it's emblematic of a couple key aspects of government and holding government accountable, which is who is accountable for certain government action. And the MTA has been this amorphous body, this authority where, yes, the governor is ultimately in charge and effectively controls it, but there's enough distance there uh, to, to allow governors to sort of push it off is not their responsibility. So that aspect and then long-term planning and execution and how you know government can often just be about you know the next quick victory for elected officials and that something like the subways and the buses really need long-term vision and execution. Right, which is the tension that MTA always had between accountability in the moment and the ability to plan long-term, and that's obviously a tension throughout many of the issues we cover here on Max and Murphy, and we'll cover in future weeks. We are on every Wednesday at 5. Uh, please follow us at citylimits.org and gothamgazette.com. He's Ben Max. I'm Jarrett Murphy. Have a great week in the greatest city in the world. Mm-hmm.